Today, Pastor Javen continues the series, In It, Not Of It. As we go into Daniel chapter 9, we will see a couple of often undervalued resources that are available to us every day. Take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. Have you ever wished that you could find something that was stowed away or you discover that had this unrealized value to it? Uh, you know, you find it and you all of a sudden find out that that thing's worth something. Uh, a couple of stories I came across I want to share with you real quick. One was of a young man in Nevada in 2019. He lived in Nevada. He went back to his mom's home on Mother's Day that year. And like many young people, he still had a lot of stuff in her attic. Um, and so he went into the attic to get his stuff, finally collect it, take it back to his house. And, uh, and he found this game up there. Uh, it was a Nintendo game called Kid Icarus. I've never heard of it. I don't know what it is. Maybe some of you gamers know what it is. But he found this game. It, it was unwrapped. Apparently, it was a Christmas gift that was supposed to be given to him one year. And mom forgot. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> he had a gift, forgot it was there. All right, so um, they found it. He found it. He took it home. Well, he put some research. He found out that this game might be worth something. So he decided to put it in an auction. And a game that originally cost $38.45 when it first came out sold at an auction for $9,000. Right? Unrealized value. One more story I'll tell you. There was a, a, a family that in Minnesota back in 2013, they were having their home renovated. And the contractors were in the home, and they were uh, tearing, you know, tearing out walls, doing all that stuff, fun stuff that contractors love to do, and, and construction workers. They opened up one of the walls, and they saw so something called their eye. And he realized it was a, the contractor realized it was a comic book. He pulled the comic book out, and what it ended up being was the first ever appearance of Superman in a comic book. They found out it was one of a hundred copies. And this comic book was inside this wall with a bunch of other newspaper just acting as insulation for the home. So the owners discovered that this thing might be worth something. So they put it in an auction. And this comic book sold for $175,000. Now do not go home and tear open your walls hoping to find something and then not, and then call me and blame me and say, it's my fault. And I got to pay you back for tearing up your walls. Don't do that. It's on video. It's on audio. Now you can't blame me. <laughs> you know, there's, there's people, there's these kind of stories all over where people find these things of unrealized value around them that they didn't realize how valuable they were. As we go into Daniel chapter nine today, we are yet again going to see two resources in Daniel's life that were never undervalued. But for us, often in our life, we undervalue these resources. Now, I want to remind us, we're going, as, we're going into, as we're in the second half of the book of Daniel now, remember the first half of the book of Daniel, Daniel was the one giving interpretations to dreams and to visions to the kings that he was uh, able to be around and work alongside of. The second half of the book of Daniel, Daniel is the one receiving dreams and interpretations. And we said that these things can be very difficult to understand. We looked at some of them last week in Daniel chapter seven, Daniel chapter eight. And I know many of you were excited. You were loving it, especially how it looked back at the history and how we saw that what was prophetic for Daniel became historic for us. And, but also where it's historic, it's still also prophetic for us. And when we left, my wife said, Javen, you lost me. I needed a chart, a diagram to break down some of this stuff. And there was a lot like that too, right? 
Because there's so much in this that it can be so difficult. And at the end of Daniel chapter 9, there is a section there that's laying out timelines. That when you try to get into this and understand what is this timeline talking about, these numbers and these dates, it can send your mind into a tizzy. But I want us to look at a statement from Daniel. I want us to fast forward to Daniel chapter 12 and look at a statement from Daniel in Daniel chapter 12 and then a subsequent conversation he has with what's just described to us as a man in linen. Because I think it can speak to us and help us when we see these things and how we feel the same way, it can help us. Daniel chapter 12, verse 8, Daniel makes this statement. He said, I heard what he said talking about what this man in linen had been trying to explain to him about all these visions and dreams that he had been having. I heard what he said, but I didn't understand what he meant. Anybody ever felt that way? Yeah. <laughs> gotcha, Daniel. I'm with you. I'm tracking, right? I'm, I've read it, but I don't always get it, right? And this is Daniel, but I want us to see what comes next, okay? So I asked, how will all this finally end, my Lord? Now notice, We talked about this last week. Daniel, when he had a hard time understanding, he just kept pursuing an understanding and a revelation. He never gave up. He kept pursuing God. And he asked, he said, how will I finally, how will all this finally end, my Lord? And then this is where we see an answer and response. Verse nine, he says, go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. So he just tells him, just go. All this stuff is sealed up. It's going to happen right? It is written. It is sealed. There's no changing it. So just go. And then look at what he says in verse 12. Maybe. Is the computer not operating with you, bud? 13. Okay. I messed you up. Okay. I said 12. You were looking for 12. As for you, go your way until the end. There you go. You will rest And then at the end of the days, you'll rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. So go your way. And no, this is not where Fleetwood Mac's home comes from, all right? But he just tells him, go your way. That's what you do, Daniel. I know you have received a lot. You've received so much, it's made you tired, it's made you weary, you've felt ill. Just go your way and rest. So we're going to see what that means for us today to go our way as we jump into Daniel chapter 9 together. So let's look at Daniel chapter 9. Let's look at verses 1 to 2 to get us started this morning. Now where a lot of this in Daniel in the second half can be difficult, it doesn't mean that it's not stock full of treasure for us. And I want us to see the treasure this morning. Daniel chapter 9, so verse 1, it was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, however he says his name, who became king of the Babylonians. Remember, Daniel chapter 7 and 8, those visions and dreams came when Belshazzar was king in his first reign. So we said what happened, what the visions and the dreams that Daniel was getting in chapter 7 and chapter 8, he actually got before what we saw happen in Daniel 5 happened. Everybody understand that? So now... We're moved forward in Daniel's life. He's still getting dreams and visions. And now we're at where we saw Daniel with uh, Darius in Daniel chapter 6 and the lion's den and all that good stuff. This is during Darius's reign. Verse 2. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading 
the word of the Lord. Did you catch that? As revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So Daniel, what's he doing? He's studying the word of God. He is remembering and learning from the word of God. This is one of those undervalued resources in many of our lives. And the reason it's undervalued is because the time we spend in it doesn't reflect the value that it holds. How often do you spend time in the word of God? How often do you spend time reflecting on the teachings of the word of God? Daniel did not neglect the word that he had up until that point. He had the history of what had happened in, in, with his ancestors in the nation of Israel, in the nation of Judah. He had that. He had the words of the prophets before him. And he never quit studying those words. The point that, that Daniel may have been in, maybe Daniel was reading Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. This is what Jeremiah 29, verse 10 says. It says, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I'll come and do for you all the good things I've promised and I will bring you home again. So maybe Daniel's reading this and he's, he's, he's looking at it again and he's studying this because that word there, it means to, it's a diligent observation. It is a diligent learning. So this isn't probably the first time that Daniel's looked at this from Jeremiah. This is something that he's constantly going back to. He's constantly reading it, read it. But now he's getting this new revelation to him and he's reading it and he's going 70, 70 years, 70, 70, 70. 70 years. Because at this point in Daniel's life, he is well into his 70s. I told you in the reign of King Darius, Daniel was likely in his 80s. So in the first year of Darius, he's reading this and he's thinking 70 years. It's been 70 years. We're right at 70 years. And so he's praying when, when is all of this going to come about? But he's studying the word of God and this new revelation comes to him. When you have a relationship with the living God, his word speaks to you continually. His word continually gives you something fresh in your life. And even when you're reading something that is considered to be old text, God can give you a new revelation inspired by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Look at what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 15 or 13, excuse me. Matthew chapter 13, he said, Jesus said to him, therefore, every scribe, which would be a religious teacher who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and things old. In other words, what he's saying is the one who becomes a disciple of God, a disciple of Jesus Christ, as you grow in him and you begin to grow in his word, you can pull out of that treasure, the word that you have been given, something new and something old to refresh you and refresh your life and refresh others around you. Look at what Paul told Timothy. 
Paul discipled Timothy. Look at what Paul told Timothy. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. And the words of Paul became a part of the word of God, right? In the faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. And what did he tell Timothy to do with the word? Guard it. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The treasure which has been entrusted to you. This is a treasure. It is extremely valuable in our life. Don't let the time you spend in it diminish its value. Let the time you spend in it reflect the value of this treasure and what it means and and what it means to our life. Guard it and hide it away in your heart and treasure it. It's not something to be undervalued. So God's word was a key part of Daniel's life. It should be a key part of our life as well. It was one of those things that was a part of the conversational relationship that Daniel had with God. Because God's word, it's not the only way, but it's one of the primary ways that God speaks to us. It's through his word. But as we see what's next, what comes next in Daniel chapter 9, prayer is the way that we speak to God. Look at verse 3 in Daniel chapter 9. Look at what Daniel did. He said, so I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in what? In prayer and in fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. This was just a signifying of his repentance is what this was. Because we're going to see a powerful prayer of repentance here in just a moment. But Daniel, again, this is that other undervalued resource in many of our lives because of the time that we spend in it doesn't reflect the value that it holds. But we have seen countless times through the book of Daniel so far how valuable prayer was to Daniel. Where do you think Daniel got the strength to, as a young man we saw in Daniel chapter 1, not defile himself? Where do you think Daniel got the strength to over and over in his life Stand on his convictions and not conform to the world around him. It came from the habit that we talked about, what we called a keystone habit, the habit that Daniel had that we see in Daniel chapter six of continual prayer in his life and knowing the word of God, praying according to the word of God. We talked about that when we looked at Daniel chapter six. So Daniel valued this. He spent time in God's word. He spent time praying and doing these things, strengthened his convictions, strengthened his faith. Do you have that in your life? Do you do this in your life? Do you spend time in God's word? Do you spend time praying to strengthen your faith in him, to help your convictions stay strong in him? But even more than that, Daniel didn't do these things alone. This is why I showed you this video this morning, how important relationships are in our life. Because we saw it in Daniel chapter 2, the first time we saw Daniel have to face a moment of panic. We said he went back to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, famously known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When, when nobody could tell the king what his dream was and then interpret it, Daniel, everybody's about to be killed. Daniel went back to his three friends and he told them what? He said, guys, we need to do what? We need to pray. Daniel had people in his life that he suffered with, that he served with, and that he sought God with. There may have been times in his life when he was isolated, but he was never alone. 
Because he had people around him that he did these things with. This is why these relationships are so important. The word of God, that is another undervalued resource in our life. The body of Christ. Serving and working and growing together. Let's look at this first part of Daniel's prayer. I encourage you this week to read this prayer. If you haven't read it in completion, Daniel chapter 9, verses 4 through 19. It's a powerful prayer. But I want us to look, let's just look at the first two, the first two statements in this prayer. The first three statements, verses 4 through 6. He said, I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed, O Lord, you are great and an awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant, keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. Listen listen to what he says. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and your regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Based on what we have studied about Daniel and about his life, is there anything that says that Daniel and him praying, we have sinned, we have rebelled, we have scorned your commands, we have not listened. Is there anything about Daniel's life that thinks he should put himself in that group with his ancestors to say, we have done those things? Look, look, at, look at the words of God to the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Son of man, God talking to Ezekiel. The, suppose the people of a country were to sin against me and I lifted my uh, fist to crush them cutting off their food supply, sending a famine to destroy both people and animals. Even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were there, their righteousness would save no one but themselves, says the sovereign God. Now, how awesome is this? Think about this. God is speaking to Ezekiel, and he's basically putting Daniel in his top three of righteous people who have walked the earth. That says something, doesn't it? Man, I wish I could be on that list. I'm probably not. Spoiler alert. So, but Daniel's praying, we, we've done these things. Look at the word later in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. The person who sins is the one who will die. The child will not be punished for the parent's sin. The parent will not be punished for the child's sin. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. But Daniel says, we. Why would he pray in regards to his ancestor's sins? Because that's what a person who has a humble, repentant relationship with the heavenly father does. That is what a person who is in humility with God, understands. Jesus taught on this in Luke chapter 18. This, I, you can write this passage down, study this this week. Luke 18, 9 through 14. Um, but I want us to see the words of Luke, the way he describes the people Jesus is talking to. Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own what? Their own righteousness. And they scorned everyone else. In other words, they were prideful. 
And Jesus goes on and he tells them this story. It's called a, the, Luke, call, or, uh, Luke calls it a story. I think this story is based on actual true events. You ever watched a movie? They put that on the screen. This is based on true events. The reason I think that is because of how specific Jesus is in this story. He doesn't just say a man did this and a man did that. He talks about these two guys that go to the temple to pray. And he says the story this way. He says, a Pharisee (laughs) prayed. He stood out on the corner and praying. Said Jesus, or he said, God, because they wouldn't have said Jesus. God, thank you that I am not like all these other sinners around me. I keep everything about your law. I do everything the way I'm supposed to do. Except treating others well, obviously. And that's the Pharisee. But then Jesus says, then again, he's very specific. He says, but there was a tax collector. I find it's interesting to me. Matthew was a tax collector, became a disciple. I just wonder, was that Matthew in his story? There are other tax collectors, but I'm just, just wondering. But he says, that the tax collector fell on his feet and he beat his chest. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's it. That's all he prayed. And Jesus said, the one who touched the heart of God was the second one. The one who prayed with humility. He understood who he was. And this is how Daniel lived. This is what God had been using Daniel to teach every king that he had the opportunity to teach and to to be around and to to be a part of their life. To humble yourself. It's what he taught Nebuchadnezzar. It's what in uh, Belshazzar's last moments, Daniel tried to tell him. It's obvious that what we see in Daniel 6 that what that Darius learned this from Daniel. This humility, Paul said about himself, he said, I am the chief of sinners. I am the worst of sinners. Was Paul degrading what God, what Jesus had done in his heart and his life? No. Paul was just recognizing who he was without Christ. That the only way he was who he was in that moment was because of the righteousness and the goodness of God. And then Paul taught us through the word, through the letter to the church of Philippians. He said, we need to be like Christ and humble ourselves. And what does that humility look like? He said for Jesus, it was to consider himself lower than others. So for us, what humility looks like is to consider others better than ourselves. Humility doesn't say we're equal. Humility isn't about equality. Humility says to somebody else, you're better than me. And we know how hard that is, right? But this is a person who is understanding the righteousness of God. We can say we're part of humanity. Without Christ, we're part of the problem. But we don't like, we, when it comes to sin in our life, We don't often want to acknowledge it. (laughs) What we like to do with sin is we like to deny it. 
We like to hide it. We like to make excuses for it. We like to blame others for it. We like to play the victim in it. We like to normalize it. And we like to celebrate it. But a person who understands who they are without Christ, they understand that's not how we treat sin. Sin will destroy our life. I can't do any of those things. I've got to own it. I've got to accept it. I've got to realize that I am human. And without Christ, I am a sinner. Lost. Without a Savior. So I've got to own it, accept it, realize it, and then give it to God. Let Him take it and forgive me. And receive His righteousness. Daniel wasn't responsible for the sins of his ancestors, but he accepted the consequences of the sins of his ancestors. Look at what he said in verse 7 and verse 14. Sorry if I'm skipping on you, Ryan, but it's Daniel chapter 9, verse 7. He says, Lord, you are in the right. When he's talking about in his prayer about the, the exile that they are in, Daniel says, God, you're in the right to do what you're doing. Because our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah, Jerusalem, all Israel scattered near and far, wherever you've driven us because of our disloyalty to you. Our sin drove us away. You didn't just push us out. Our sin drove us away from you, God. So you are right to let this exile happen to us. Look at what he says in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God is right to do all these things for we did not obey him. What Daniel is saying is two different variations of a word. One is the action. One is describing his character. God acts the way he acts because that's who he is by his character. He is righteous and he is just. See, a parent or a judge, either way, you can look at it either way. If there is a, an action that deserves a consequence, the parent or the judge would not do right by the home if you're the parent or the community if you're a judge to let certain actions go without the needed consequences and discipline because you're not setting the right tone for the home or for the community, depending on which the scenario is. Yes, there's grace and there's mercy at times. But if someone never receives the discipline and the consequences they need for certain actions, there's no change. Daniel understood this is who God is. He is righteous and he is just. But his righteousness is defined by his justice and his mercy. Because Daniel knew that not only was God just, he was a God who longed to restore. He was a God who longed to forgive. And so he prayed in his prayer for God to bring that. And Daniel expressed a lot in his prayer about who God was. He said God was a God of love. He was a God of, uh, he was a relational 
God. He was a God who had compassion. He was a God who had, who wanted to forgive the people's sins. He was a God that did not give up on pursuing people. He was a God who pursued them over and over. And all throughout this prayer, we see Daniel praying and quoting Moses from Numbers and from Deuteronomy. We see him quoting the psalmist. We see him quoting the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Again, the combination of the word of God that Daniel had in his life and prayers working together. That's why we need to do them both because our prayers should be rooted in the promises of God that we find in his word. We pray and we seek God. Daniel interceded on behalf of a nation. Daniel was much like Jesus in that way. But the author of Hebrews, he tells us that we have an even greater intercessor in Jesus Christ who is interceding on our behalf. And look at what, real quick, verse 21 to 23. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. And real quick, let me say, there's some translations, your version, if you're reading it, it may say, in my weariness or in my fatigue, God sent an angel. It's not, it's not too different. Most scholars say the word there is very difficult to render. And it's because the root of the word, the root of the word has two meanings. It's the, that root is very similar. The root could be to fly or the root could mean to be weary. And that's what makes it difficult to render. But in reality, there's truth in both of them. <laughs> Through the context of what we see in Daniel's life, he is extremely tired. He is extremely weary. And God suddenly sends him an answer. God works in suddenlies. So both can be true in the sense. Verse 22, he explained to me, Daniel, I've come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I'm here to tell you what it was. For you are very precious to God. You are loved by God. So listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. So this Gabriel speaks to him. And he tells him, Daniel, you're precious to God. You're loved by God. Listen to me. Just because life is hard does not mean God does not love you. Hear me. The cross and the empty tomb are better revealers of God's love to you than your circumstances. They always will be. You are loved by God and you are precious to him. When we understand that, the way we approach God becomes so much different. An author and speaker by the name of Jen Wilkin, she said these words, listen to him. She said, a change in belief leads to a change in desires. When we learn the truth about God, when we believe, when we believe that God listens to us, that he loves us, 
that he desires to work through our prayers, then we instinctively begin to do everything that all the self-discipline in the world couldn't teach us to do. We begin to pray. And she said this, she says, when we know we're greatly loved, we'll pray when we're happy and when we're anxious. When we see God at work and when we don't see God at work, we'll keep pursuing God because we know he loves us. You are loved by God. You are precious to God. And then we get into these timelines. The angel Gabriel begins to describe a timeline of things that are going to happen. And this is one of those things that's debated. Many believe that this timeline coexists with what we talked about last week with Antiochus Epiphanes. When he came in and he put up false God in the temple of God and created a sacrifice with pig swine and pig flesh on the holy altar of God. Many consider this an abomination. So they believe that that timeline set up. Others believe that the timeline comes in place when the Roman leader Titus destroyed the temple in AD 70. There's a lot of debate that goes around these timelines. But we need to also remember the words of Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 9 to 12. These are very helpful for us when it comes to prophecies that are difficult to understand. Our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. And then look at verse 13. He says, Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we'll see everything with perfect clarity. Then being when we are with our Father. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I'll know everything completely, just as God knows me completely even right now. So we we can't understand everything in full detail. There's things about this prophecy, this timeline. Yes, there's a lot that it lines up that it happened. But look at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter uh, 24, verses 15 to 16, when he's talking to his listeners about the end of days. Look at what he says, Matthew 24. He says, the day's coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. He's quoting Daniel chapter nine here. The sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place, the, desec- uh, the abomination of uh, desolation. He says, reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea run for the hills. So what Jesus is saying, Jesus came after Antiochus. Antiochus came before Christ. So yes, there had already been an abomination of desolation that had taken place inside the temple. But remember what I told you, in the world there is a pattern, but in God there is a promise. And John the Revelator in Revelation He shows us, Jesus quotes it, it's still to come. There is a day when the temple will be rebuilt. And there's a day, Jesus says, when this abomination will take place again. And when you see that take place again, you better be watching out. Because that Antichrist, that Revelation 18 talks about, that prophet who works false miracles, that Revelation 18 talks about in 19, those things are going to begin to play out. And this counterfeit trinity, the devil, his antichrist, and his false prophet who is supposed to reflect the Holy Spirit, 
They're only there to deceive you. They're only there to exalt themselves and get you to exalt yourself. And they're only there with the ultimate goal to destroy you and destroy your life. So Jesus says, just be alert and be be watchful. Because there's a problem in the world and that problem is sin. And where there's a continual pattern of sin, there's a promise in God and a promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And where we're not worthy, his grace redeems. I want us to look at one more verse as we close from Daniel's prayer. Daniel chapter nine, verse 18. Look at what Daniel prays. Oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, not because we deserve anything, but because of your mercy, God. And this promise where we see throughout the world a pattern in the destruction of sin, the promise that comes from God, the rescue is far greater than the ruin. And it's not because we deserve it. You are greatly loved. You are greatly treasured by God. And because of Jesus Christ, because of what he did, Daniel interceded alone. Jesus put himself in our place and received the consequences of what our sin brings. And then after taking our consequences, he intercedes on our behalf. He took it to a whole nother level. And when we end our prayers and we say in Jesus name, it's not some cute way just to conclude our prayers. What we're saying when we say in Jesus name is we're saying, God, God, I'm praying this not because I'm worthy. I'm praying this God, not because of anything about me, about my goodness. God, I'm praying this not because I deserve anything, but I'm praying this because of the goodness of who God is, of who you are, because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Because you alone are worthy. And even though I'm not worthy to receive anything, God, that I'm praying for, you were worthy. You are worthy to be praised. And you are so full of grace and mercy to give it to me. You are an awesome God. So what do we do? What do we do when we when things look crazy? We go our way. And what does our way look like? We worship the one who is worthy. We walk in his word. We walk in his spirit through a life of prayer. And we witness of the goodness of God every chance we get. Stand with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation of it. 
Father, I pray today that you would create a hunger in us to know more of your word. And that when we come across things that might be difficult to understand and hard to grasp, let us be like Daniel to continually seek you and ask, what does this mean? What is the revelation from this? And to trust, Father, that you'll bring us an answer. God, you sent Gabriel to Daniel. But Jesus promised us, you've sent us your Holy Spirit. And whereas the author of Hebrews says, we may entertain angels from time to time without realizing it. We have the Holy Spirit in our life every day to guide us into all truth. So Father, help us to continue to worship you who alone is worthy, to walk in your word, to walk in your spirit with a life of prayer, to witness through our lives for you, who you are. And we thank you for it. As we end in this moment, I just encourage you, church, to spend time reflecting on what God has done If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccanbin.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.